The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called Messy Marriage, and we talked about how couples can get disconnected and how it can seem like we are, even though in the same house, we're really living two separate lives. And if you missed that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. I know last week was New Year's Day, and I know that some of you missed because of travels or what have you. So I would encourage you, if you missed that, man, go back and listen to it because uh, we're going to continue on in this marriage series because I believe that God wants us to have strong marriages because strong marriages glorify Him. And whether you're married or not, I believe that this message is applicable to you and that God can use it regardless of what season of life you're in. Amen, somebody? Last week, one of the main things that I said that I really want to reiterate was talking about connection and disconnection. And disconnection is so dangerous in marriage. Disconnection is extremely dangerous when it comes to relationships because you don't realize how often that you're drifting apart. And then one day you look back and you go, how in the world did we get there? How in the world did we end up here? It was because of these little things that began to just pile up as we began to drift and slide away from one another in relationship, especially in our marriages to where when we look back, we go, man, how do we get so disconnected? So disconnection is so dangerous, not only because it causes us to drift apart, but because of the doors that it opens to temptation, the doors that it opens to justify sin, the doors that it opens to make us feel like, well, I guess since they don't care, I'm just going to do whatever I want. And we begin to lead separate lives and it's very unhealthy and God wants us to be connected and he wants our marriages to be restored. And so we need to stay connected in our marriages. But I know a lot of you may have already given up hope. A lot of you may have already said, you know what, it's too late for us. This would have been a great sermon to have heard 20 years ago, Pastor Derek. This would have been a great sermon to have heard 10 years ago or five years ago or whatever the case may be. You're contextualizing it based on what you're dealing with and what you're struggling with and what your challenges are in your own marriage and in your own life. And you're like, man, this sure would have been good information to have heard. And so you may have been already in a place where you've given up hope of really anything changing. You've got the other person figured out. You're like, oh, I know him. I know her. I know how they're going to be. I've already got them pegged to where if I try to do this or that, I know how they're going to react. And you've already got it all figured out. Well, let me tell you, if that's you today and you're in that space, I want to tell you, don't give up hope because God can still turn this thing around because whatever dysfunction you're experiencing in your marriage, it doesn't have to be accepted as normal in your life. Too many people just settle and they go, well, I guess this is normal. I guess it's going to have to be how it is because that's how my parents were. I mean, at least our marriage is a little bit better than theirs. And we just accept subpar things in our marriages and our expectations get so low because we're so tired of getting disappointed and we accept dysfunction as normal and we don't pursue or embrace the challenges that would require us to grow and actually have a healthy marriage to where our best days are not behind us, but rather that they're ahead of us. So depending on the depth of your wounds and depending on the depth of the disappointment that you've experienced, you may or may not be very optimistic today. But I have news for you today that God's option, if you'll trust him and you'll follow his option, is better than any option that you could choose in your own strength. So we're going to read today out of the book of Hosea. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and go over to Hosea. Maybe you've never ventured over into the book of Hosea, or you just read it and said, yeah, that's weird. And then you just kind of shut it and moved along to something else that made a little more sense. 
Hosea was a prophet, all right? And in this prophetic book, he's speaking things on behalf of God because in those days, God didn't speak to people like he does now because we have his Holy Spirit living on the inside of us and we can have that communication with God between us and him. People used to have prophets that would speak on behalf of God the things that God wanted to share to those people. And sometimes it was the foretelling of things that were going to happen. Sometimes it was a corrective word where it's like, you guys have been doing this, stop it. And sometimes it was a warning, whatever it would be. God would use different prophets all throughout the Old Testament before Christ came in, before the Holy Spirit came, to be able to share with people the words from God. And Hosea was one of those prophets. Now, in the days of the prophet Hosea, the nation of Israel was very unfaithful to God. And Israel was God's chosen people, the people that were going to see the, the, the reconciliation of mankind to the world come through that nation because Jesus was going to come out of that. But God made a promise with the nation of Israel, a covenant promise with the nation of Israel. So this covenant promise would be like the type of promise that a husband would make to his wife. It's not just a, yeah, I'll do this. No, this is a covenant. This is deeper than just me saying, I'm going to do this or do that. It is sealed. This is set. This is God's word. This is him uh, him, uh, giving this covenant between him and these people. And they're supposed to do certain things. And God said he would do certain things. But Israel had been unfaithful to their side of the covenant. And because of this, God was angry with the people of Israel. And he raised up the prophet Hosea to speak forth the words that he wanted to say to the nation of Israel. It's really the same imagery that we see as the church, the body of Christ, being the bride of Christ. You've heard that reference before. And Jesus is the head, he's the groom, and the church is the bride of Christ. It's that same type of relationship that God is using Hosea to speak on his behalf to the nation, his bride, his covenant partner, Israel, to correct her because the nation of Israel had been unfaithful, began to worship false gods and all sorts of evil things that they were doing. So in the book of Hosea, it starts out really strange because God commands the prophet, okay, this preacher, this prophet, Hosea, to go out and to marry an adulterer that is named Gomer. Now, first of all, awful choice of name. And second of all, she was an adulteress. I don't know which one, you know, if you want to rank which one was worse. But uh, no, he said, go out, God said, go out and marry an adulterer. Man, a preacher, a prophet being told who was unmarried to go out and marry as his wife, this woman who was known as an adulteress. This woman who was known for sleeping around. That's the woman he said, I want you to go and marry. Now, this lady that he married was just kind of like the nation of Israel was to God. Now, she was unfaithful to Hosea. Surprise, surprise. She kind of had a reputation. And everybody knew this woman's reputation. Now, she and Hosea had a kid together. And that kid's name was Jezreel. But then there were two other kids that... Gomer had that were fathered by different men. And Hosea knew that they weren't his kids, but yet he stayed with her. 
and he stuck with her. And he kept working with her just like God was sticking with Israel, even though they continued to be unfaithful to him. Hosea, he married Gomer, has kids, and she resents him, and she cheats on him, and he knows it's going on. But then she eventually just says, I'm done with you, Hosea. I'm going to leave you. And she goes and chases around all these other guys that were giving her attention that she was sleeping around with, and she's completely left him. And so here he is with these kids, two of which are not even his. And these kids had terrible names. I can't pronounce their names in Hebrew, but the meaning of the names was no mercy and not my people. Awful names for children, right? But there was a point to this that God was using through the life of the prophet Hosea. He was using Hosea to experience the same things that God was experiencing. And God had sovereignly ordained that Hosea would experience these things so he could communicate on behalf of God with the weight that God wanted this communicated so that Israel could see what God was wanting to do with them and through them. And so the things that Israel had done had caused them to be not his people and caused him to have no mercy because they had broken covenant. They had broken the bonds. They had broken the promise. And they had done the things... They they had violated the commands of God. But God was going to show them something powerful through the life and through the message and through the words that he was going to give to the prophet Hosea. So Gomer leaves, uh, she leaves uh, Hosea and she goes and ends up selling herself into slavery because she was broke as a joke because these guys left her hanging, they left her high and dry. And now for her to make ends meet, she had to go sell herself into slavery and become a slave. And so here was this woman who was loved and adored by this man. And the Bible didn't say that Hosea tolerated Gomer. The Bible says that he loved her. So God put the compassion and the capacity in Hosea's heart to love this woman known as an adulteress who, com- who hurt him over and over again. And then she eventually just runs off and leaves him. And he goes, well, I guess that's it. I guess that's over. But this is what God said in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 1. And the Lord said to me, go again and love this woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. I had to stop right there. I said, well, hang on, God. I love me some oatmeal raisin cookies. And I hope that that's not something in the Bible saying I shouldn't eat that. But no, what that was talking about is that there were certain cakes that they would make in this pagan worship to these other gods. And so it was a reference actually to idol worship when I actually researched what that meant. Verse 2, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lechic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so I will also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince or without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come to fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. This really messes with me because you think about the person who's done you the most wrong in life, okay? Whether that be your spouse, whether that be your ex-spouse, whether that be someone close to you that got really close as a friend or a family member or a boss or whatever the case may be, they hurt you and they wounded you. Could you imagine what Hosea had been through? Could you just think for a minute about this man who was told to go and marry this woman who was known to sleep around, and then she goes off after having a child with you and gets pregnant two other times 
And now these children are left as yours to raise while she goes off and does whatever she wants? Sounds like an episode of Jerry Springer. But Hosea didn't go on Jerry Springer to find out who the baby daddy was. He didn't, he, he didn't do that. That's what you and I would want to do. You and I would want to be angry and we would want to lash out. And we would want to just express our disgust. And we would just want to hurt the other person for hurting us so badly. That's not what Hosea did. And that's not what God did to Israel. And God was trying to paint a picture to Israel and show them through the life of Hosea and the conviction of the message in the tone of Hosea exactly his heart, not only for his people, but also for marriage. Because we see that Hosea marries Gomer again. He, he stays with her. He, he, he recommits to her. They get reconnected. But he says things are going to be different from now on. And they set up some different guidelines and some different things in their marriage that now... I see you at your low point, and I'm coming to rescue you, but things are going to be different now. And God did the same thing to the children of Israel. When we see that God allowed them to go and do whatever they wanted to do, but then God reached down and said, I'm going to love you in spite of all of this junk. Check this out in Hosea chapter 2 and verse 23. It says this. This is God's word speaking through Hosea. He says, and I will sow her for myself in the land, and I will have mercy on that child that's named no mercy. And I will say to the one named not my people, you are now my people. And that child is going to say to me, you are my God. How powerful is that? This child who every time that they heard their name spoken, it said, you're not mine. That's your name, not mine. Or no mercy. No mercy for you. That's your name. Every time I call you into the house, hey, no mercy, come here. Wow. A constant reminder, but he says, the one named no mercy, I'm going to have mercy on. And the one who was disconnected, who wasn't mine, that's not my people, I'm going to say, you're my people, and guess what? You're going to say, you're my God. How powerful the picture of reconciliation, and that's really what this is. And it's a foretelling, not only of the reconciliation of the children of Israel back to God, but it's a foretelling of Jesus Christ, the one who bought and paid for us in our lowly place where we rejected him outright. And when we said, we don't want anything to do with you, and he still said, I'm here for you, I'm going to have compassion upon you, and I'm going to make a way for you to come back and be mine yet again. What a great and powerful story of love and reconciliation. But God chooses to show this story through the life of Hosea in the context of marriage because it not only shows God's heart for reconciliation between him and us, but it shows his heart for reconciliation in the marriage. Amen, somebody? Now, here's the thing. This is an extreme example of the depth of the love of God. What an extreme example. I, when I was studying this last week and preparing my message, I was sitting in my recliner at my house and reading the Bible and this particular passage, and I had to close it several times and just like recline back and just think, what in the world is going on here? Could we take that level of, of offense and woundedness and hurt and betrayal and forgive God says that we have the capacity to do so. Wow, that blew my mind because you think about a situation that's hopeless and you think about how rough it may be in your household. Man, Hosea had it rough in his home, didn't he? He had a home life that was a mess and Gomer was a home wrecker. And she was causing all kinds of problems, but he still, because of his love for her, his dedication to her, his faithfulness to her, he still even went to the lowest place of slavery and said, let me buy you back. Wow. 
that just blows my mind. Because how many of us, if we saw someone suffering in slavery who had wounded us, and we saw that they were living in the pool of their uh, life choices, and it was not a nice place to be, we would go, huh, you got what you deserve. I told you that she was going to get that. I told you that that was coming. I told you that this situation was probably going to end up this way. And we feel justified, or we feel right, like all of a sudden now we have the upper hand because, ah, ha, 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 now you're struggling. That's not what Hosea said. He didn't taunt her. He didn't pick on her. He didn't make fun of her. He had mercy on her, and he bought her out of that place. Man, that dude loved that woman. Wouldn't you agree? He loved that lady, and he understood the level of covenant and commitment and the fact that he, even though he was faithful and she wasn't, that he was still going to see this thing reconciled because God had put them together. Now, this message today can be for someone who has experienced infidelity in their marriage, but it doesn't have to be. This isn't a message just about infidelity, so if, if that situation doesn't necessarily apply to you, I don't want you to check out on me because infidelity can take different forms in a marriage because infidelity is really anything that captures the heart of your spouse that isn't your spouse. In other words, it can be a career. It can be, an, it can be attention from other people. It can be uh, Facebook Oh, snap, Pastor went there. Yes, he did. It can be television. It can be recreation. It can be friends. It, it really can be anything that causes a disconnection between you two enjoying one another, between you two deepening trust and love together. And there's a few things that happen in this process of restoration. What a beautiful story about how Hosea was able to reconcile and restore his marriage and also a beautiful type and shadow picture of how God still was longing and chasing after his people who had been adulterous to him. And we see the heart of God at work in this. And there's a few things that happen in the process that we can learn in order to help us to grow as we have perhaps had things happen in our marriage that have caused us to separate or things happen in our lives that have caused us to lack trust or things that have caused us that have burned us or hurt us or wounded us and helping us to get closer together and walk stronger together so that our days ahead of us can be better than the days behind us. And as I look at this scripture and as I look at this story about what happened in the life of Hosea as well as the way that God treated Israel in the same situation and context, there were a few things that happened. Number one, God got angry at Israel. He got angry. We see that God was angry with, at the unfaithfulness of Israel. And guess what? I bet you Hosea got angry too, don't you think? Don't you think he's like, she did what? I mean, I couldn't imagine the feelings that he must have felt and the emotion and the anger that he must have felt. And then there's a second thing that happened. He was heartbroken because God was heartbroken as well over Israel. Man, this guy's heart was absolutely broken. Number one, he was angry. Number two, he was heartbroken. But number three, he had compassion. And that was the turning point. Not only was he angry, not only was he heartbroken, he decided not to live in anger, heartbreak, unforgiveness, bitterness. He decided to allow the compassion of God to work in his heart what needed to be worked in order to cause restoration and reconciliation. And then number four, he restored Israel. And then he, some things changed. He set some strong boundaries. It wasn't just like, oh, it's cool. You can run over me and do whatever you want to do. It's cool. I'll have to forgive you because I'm God and it's kind of my thing. 
No, that wasn't how God navigated that. He said, okay, now things are going to be different because as you look at the story of Hosea and Gomer, when Gomer was restored, he said, all right, some things are going to change. Some things are going to be different. And these are the things that are going to need to change and be different. And he laid out those non-negotiables. And you see what happened in the process of restoration. And as we look at that, we go through a similar process. Man, when we get wounded or when there's a distance or disconnect between us as married people, we get angry. And guess what? It's okay to be angry. I'm going to take it a step further. It's okay to get angry at your spouse. Okay. <laughs> it is. Because you don't want to know why it's going to happen. And you need to know that it's okay that, to be angry with your spouse because it's going to happen and you need to know what to do with that anger. It's going to happen. And it's okay. Being angry is not the sin. It is what you do with that anger and what you allow it to become that becomes the sin. Because you're going to get angry, and it's okay, it's natural, it's going to happen. But you need to know what to do. So let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's look at what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul says this to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4 and 17. Now this I say, and I testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from this life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous in their hearts, and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. That's not what you learned in Christ. So assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth in Jesus, you need to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful evil desires and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Verse 25, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, and don't give opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal. Let him rather labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with others in need. Let no corrupt talking come out of your mouths, but only things that are good for building up as fits the occasion, so it can give grace to those who hear it. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, slander, let all that stuff be put away from you with all kinds of malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ in God forgave you. So here we see that we're going to get angry, but the Bible says to be angry and sin not because now you're a part of a different set of values. The reason we read all of that scripture is because I wanted you to see the way we used to be and the way that we were when our hearts were hardened towards God. Man, that was okay. That was acceptable to be angry and to go pout and to sit on it and to backbite and to gossip and murmur and to go spread all the rumors and go talk negatively about your husband or your wife to your coworkers. That's what people who have a hard heart towards God and Christ, they do that. They don't even think about it. But that's not you who are in Christ. You need to take off that old way of doing things, put on the new way of doing things, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you need to not let anger dictate how you treat and love your spouse because anger is not a free ticket for you to justify you sinning and doing something that you think will get them back anger is not your free ticket 
to indulge in the sin that you're indulging in because your spouse has been withholding something from you. Anger is not your free pass to begin to justify all of the things that you may do to further the disconnect and deepen the wound. Anger is not okay. That's, and that's really what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across here. He said, people that do that, all this bitterness and anger and malice and backbiting, that's the way people with hardness in their hearts act. That's not you. And he's trying to remind the Ephesians of who they are in Christ. Because he's about to talk about marriage here in Ephesians chapter 5. And he's setting them up because he wants them to understand people of godly character whose lives are being influenced by the gospel and who are being influenced by the message of Jesus Christ and whose hearts have been softened and all things have been made new. Good things should be coming out of their lives. They should be patient, long-suffering, kind, forgiving one another just as Christ forgave us. And that's what Paul is trying to say. Trying to get across, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You see, it's not okay to let the sun go down on your anger. Now, that doesn't mean that all of your marriage problems are going to be solved before the sun goes down this evening. Because we live in Wisconsin, and during the winter, the sun goes down at like 3 o'clock. <laughs> during the summer, we get the other side of it, though, and that's what we love. But man, it gets dark quick. So that doesn't mean you've got to get all your problems solved before 3.30, 4 o'clock today. But what that does mean is that you need to have your problems discussed and worked through and talked about, and you need to deal with them before you go to bed, before you let days and days pass and weeks and weeks and months and months, and you let those things pass, and you just begin to ignore these little issues, and then the little issues become big issues, and you don't communicate, and then all of a sudden you get harder and harder in your heart because you're not dealing with the issue. You see, you have to communicate. You have to work through it. And the longer you don't talk, guess what? The more assuming happens. And assumption is dangerous. I told my staff this. We did a training day uh, here not too long ago, and I was doing some leadership teaching and training. And one of the things that I told my staff is I said, regarding communication and responsibilities, we need to begin to understand clearly and communicate who's responsible for what and put away your crystal ball. I said, each one of us can often be tempted to pull out our crystal ball and just assume that that's not my job or that is my job. And they wonder and they're nervous or maybe they'll go, oh, well, I just assumed so-and-so was going to take care of this or I assumed so-and-so was going to take care of that. And when that stuff begins to happen, everyone's trying to peer into the crystal ball just assuming that this is going to happen because we're not really clear. We haven't communicated. We haven't talked about it, but we're all assuming. And I said, we need to communicate and establish who's responsible for what so everyone's clear and everyone can be confident instead of assuming that this is so-and-so's area or so-and-so's responsibility. Let's make sure everyone understands and respects everyone's jobs and everyone understands what we're responsible for and that we execute on that level. And we talked about that. And the same thing happens in our marriage. We'll be upset about something and we'll pull out the crystal ball and we'll look into it and we'll try to see what we can see in there. Oh, well, I bet you they just really don't care about me. Well, they don't care about me. I bet you they're doing this. I bet they're also doing this. And next thing you know, we feed that beast and it gets bigger and bigger and we think we're right and we could be completely wrong. Somebody could get upset and offended over something as simple as maybe the pastor of a church not saying hello to you and, and, and maybe walks past you and you were trying to get their attention. Maybe, maybe I just didn't see you and someone gets offended and they just assume that they're not cared about and nobody loves them. And instead of communicating that, 
People take that stuff to heart and then they begin to spread it and talk to other people who are in that same space of offense because offended people aren't hard to find. Are they? Uh, You don't have to look far. And if you want somebody to gossip with about something or someone, you don't have to look far because people in their flesh, they love that and the flesh craves that because the flesh has this innate desire to want to be right. And when we assume and we communicate our assumptions and we begin to arouse our anger, we begin to feel like we're right and it makes us feel good and important and like we're smarter than other people and we begin to feed our own ego and it's a very sick and twisted thing, but it all starts with just assuming something and getting offended over it instead of talking about it. And it happens in our marriages all the time. And how many times have you gone to that person that maybe didn't say hello when you walked by and or maybe something happened that did offend you and you said, hey, I, I, I tried to get your attention earlier. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, I missed that completely. And they had no idea that you were even offended. They had no idea. Man, that happens so often in our marriages. We inadvertently will offend each other or wound one another. And we need to communicate those things instead of ignoring those things and assuming the worst about other people. Well, you don't know. I've been married to him for 20 years. I know exactly how he thinks and what he's doing. I know exactly. Oh, do you? Put your crystal ball away. Put your crystal ball away and stop trying to predict how that person's going to act, react. This happens to me all the time. I'll, I'll do marriage counseling with someone and I'll say, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z. And they'll go, yeah, well, I know them and it's not going to work. Put your crystal ball away. Yeah, you may do something that's a godly principle or that's godly advice and sound counsel, and it may not work the first time you do it, but you didn't get to where you got just with one incident more than likely, right? So it's not one thing done right one time that's going to fix the situation. It's a lot of little things done right over a consistent period of time that's going to equal the biggest result, right? that's actually going to cause the change. Not just one thing. Not Well, we're going to start going to church. We went to church one time. My marriage didn't heal. Man, I don't know what's wrong with the pastor of that church. I guess we're going to go try to find something else. Well, you're not going to find that magic pill. You're not going to find that magic word or that book or conference or marriage series. It's going to be you taking and applying little things in a consistent way. It's going to be you being faithful to pray. It's going to be you being faithful to be compassionate. It's going to be you allowing God to work the things in your heart that need to be worked. And God will work on the other person, but you let him work in you and you stand in the gap and pray for the other person and trust God. Amen, somebody? So stay out of the land of assumption. Man, it's the devil's playground. So God was angry, but he didn't sin. And we can be angry and not sin by communicating how we feel, and make sure that we do it in an appropriate way. And if we can't do it in a sensible way, remove yourself from the situation until you can have the conversation without allowing things to escalate. And if things just escalate, you need to bring in someone who is solid that can help mediate. And God will use someone in that circumstance. I do that type of stuff. You need someone that you can help, that can help mediate those conversations as well so they don't escalate in the same old conversation, just going round and round over and over again. God was heartbroken. So God was heartbroken, and, and we get heartbroken too. And here's the deal. We must not look past the pain of another person and downplay their emotions. So often when there's disconnection in a marriage, we make light of the other one's feelings and basically tell them, you shouldn't feel that way. And that's not fair to tell someone how to feel. 
They feel how they feel because they're an individual and they are who they are. We need to love our spouses and respect them and honor them for who they are, not for who we want them to be. It's not fair for us to withhold our love, our attention, and our affection from someone until they become the person that we want them to be. It's like we're standing in the corner away from them with our arms folded going, well, when you straighten up, that's when I'll start loving you, forgiving you, accepting you, and treating you like a decent human being. But until then, you're getting my wrath and you're getting a cold shoulder. And then all of a sudden, you straightened up yet? Okay, all right, well, I'll be nice to you again. That's not the unconditional love of God, and that's not how He treats us, amen? God doesn't say, you need to straighten up before I love you. You need to straighten up before I forgive you. You need to get all your stuff figured out before I'll, I'll, I'll welcome you in, into my family and, and forgive you and make you righteous in the eyes of God. No, no, no. It's when oftentimes we're at our worst because, man, sometimes people just have to get to a low place in life before they recognize how much they truly are loved and how much God loves them. It was the same thing with Gomer. Look at how low she had to get before she recognized what she had in her home. Man, wouldn't it be so much better if she would have recognized it before she had to get sold into slavery? Wouldn't it be better if she would have seen that before? It, it took that to get her to see it. Same thing with Israel. Wouldn't it have been better for Israel to see how good God was when he led them out of captivity of the hand of the Egyptians after 400 years of slavery? Literally generations of people being born into slavery that were set free. I think that would say, hey, God's pretty good. I think he loves you a lot. But instead, they turn away to idols, and they turn away to false gods. Man, what kind of spitting, slapping in the face is that? Same thing in our marriages, man. Uh, Don't you see what I do for you? Don't you see what I've sacrificed? All those different things, man. It doesn't mean we stop loving. It may hurt, but it doesn't mean we stop loving. We need to respect the other spouse's emotions, take responsibility for the way we've made them feel, or, or even allow them just to speak to how they feel. Maybe we don't understand how they feel because guess what? You're two different people who were raised in two different environments who have two completely different perspectives on different values and things. And, and some of your stuff, your, your non-negotiables and your core stuff needs to be aligned. But man, when you get married to somebody, there's stuff you didn't know they thought they thought. And you're like, you think, what about what? Or this upset you? I didn't know that was going to upset you. And you begin to learn things about them that you didn't know because you're studying your spouse. You're, as part of growing together, is studying them and learning them, learning their heart, learning why are they wounded instead of telling them they just should get over it. Why do they act that way? Why do they react that way to certain situations? Maybe there was something that happened in their life that has wounded them, that's actually caused them to need you as their helpmate to help them to find healing and and reconciliation and forgiveness through that. And maybe that's part of your role instead of you just telling them to stop acting that way and stop feeling that way. Why don't we be compassionate and love one another and try to seek to understand one another instead of just for us to be understood? You see, we need to have the same love and compassion on our spouse that Christ does for us. Ephesians chapter 5, the whole chapter talks about how much that uh, we're loved by God and how much we're supposed to love our spouses and in the way we're supposed to love our spouses. And we see that even though we've been disconnected with our spouse, that God understands the feelings. He understands the emotion. He understands the anger. He understands the, 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 the emotional side that comes with it, and so did Hosea. God gets where you're at, but he also had compassion in the middle of all of that. Because we, like Israel, we, we've done some of the same things to God. 
And in our marriages, when we begin to drift, when we begin to disconnect, man, instead of feeding into that negativity and that hurt, we need to remember that God had compassion on us and that we're supposed to be a conduit of that love of God that freely we've received, so freely we give. Amen? I didn't pay for this forgiveness that God gave. I couldn't have. Jesus paid it all, and all to Him I owe. And I've received it freely. I didn't have to do anything to earn it. And so I shouldn't require anyone else to have to do anything. I'm just going to love you because of the love of God that's in my heart for you. That's how a man like Hosea could love a woman like Gomer. Because you think, how in the world could that man love that woman? Because he had compassion on her. Because he had made a commitment to her. Because he wasn't going to give up on her. And so he loved her in spite of her flaws, in spite of her past, in spite of what she had done to wound him and hurt him. He had compassion, but that wasn't the end of the story. It wasn't just, oh, what you did is fine. It's all good. Let's just move on. Forget about it. No, they had to work through some things. And he said, here's the non-negotiables moving forward. He said, remember what Hosea said to Gomer in Hosea chapter 3? He said, you're done with all that whoring around. That's what he said, verbatim. He said, you're not going to play the whore anymore. He said, you're mine, and I'm yours, and we're going to love each other, and we're going to start doing things differently. And he set some strong boundaries and strong non-negotiables, just like God set with the nation of Israel, and just like we see the life of a Christian when we put off our old self and put on a new self, it's not just do whatever you want to and then go to church or ask God to forgive you and feel bad about it and cry. No, there's new non-negotiables that are going to help direct our lives. There's things that God has put in our, in our path to help us walk the straight and narrow path that's actually going to bring Him glory and that's going to benefit us. Even though we don't see it at the time, it still benefits us because it's non-negotiables that God is saying, these are, the, these are the things I want you to live by. And Gomer and Hosea had had that conversation where there were non-negotiables that were discussed in their marriage. And as you're looking at reconciling, and as you're looking at God restoring your marriage, and it doesn't matter if, 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 if there was infidelity, infidelity in your marriage. It doesn't matter if maybe there's just some problems and issues that have caused some distortion and disconnection between the two of you. When you recognize it, you need to establish some non-negotiables and say, it's not going to be this way anymore. Our lives are going to be founded on Christ. Our home's going to be founded on Christ. And here are the non-negotiables that are going to be set around Christ being our foundation. That's what God did with Israel. That's what Hosea did with Gomer. And that's what you're going to have to do with your spouse and have those open conversations to where you set those non-negotiables. Because restoration is God's plan. Reconciliation is God's plan. God wants you to have hope. God wants you to know that it's not over. But you didn't get there overnight. You've got to start taking some steps towards where God wants you to be, to be healed and reconciled. But restoration doesn't mean we recapture what we used to have. Restoration means that all things are new. So many people have this idea that restoration means I'm going to go back to the way things were when they were good in my eyes. Man, I don't care when the best time you and your spouse have had, I don't want that being the highlight and the pinnacle of your marriage, what, used to, what you used to have. 
And that's not what God wants either. God doesn't want your best days being behind you. God doesn't want your best marriage being those first few years when you were just all in love and you just couldn't get enough of each other and you always wanted to spend time together and you were holding hands and that was the best and and it's never going to be that again and I wish we could recapture and have what we used to have. Restoration is not having what you used to have. Restoration is all things being made new. When we look at the life of a Christian, that's what God says about us. When he says we're made new in Christ, he doesn't say things are going to be like they used to be. No, he says, behold, all things are made new. So when God restores something, he makes it new. So you need to stop looking to recapture the past and start looking at how God's love is working in your heart to make your marriage something new, more passionate, more exciting, more connected than you've ever experienced before. It's going to be the best for you and it's going to bring glory to God. So what that means really, folks, is that there's hope for you. And that's really the main thing I wanted to communicate to you on this Sunday morning is that there's hope for you. You need to pray for your spouse. You need to have compassion. Yeah, you might be angry. Yeah, you might be heartbroken. But allow God to work something in your heart. Because if there was hope for Hosea and Gomer, there's hope for you. Amen? I mean, my goodness, what a terrible situation. But God restored it and made all things new. But you've got to repent. You've got to talk to one another openly about the struggles that you have. And you've got to be willing to repent to one another. That doesn't just mean saying, I'm sorry. That means actually changing and doing something different. Because if you keep doing the same thing you've always done and you go home and you expect something different, you're going to have what you always had. You've got to go home and do something different. You've got to have a conversation that's going to be different, that may be a little awkward, that may be a little uncomfortable. But what did I say last week? I said, when it's awkward and uncomfortable, you've got to embrace awkward. How long do I have to embrace awkward? Till it stops being awkward. That's how long. It feels weird to pray with my spouse. We've never done that before. Do it till it stops feeling weird. I promise you, it'll eventually stop feeling weird. I got a new gym membership over at a different gym I transitioned to. And, and, and all the stuff's in different places than the gym that I was used to going to. Don't like it. I like my stuff being over here and over here. And they need to just get with the program and do what my old gym used to do. And it feels weird going, I don't know any of the people, I don't know where anything is. I look a little lost and people are looking at me. I feel judgment when they look at me. Walk around the gym feeling weird. But guess what? The longer I keep going there, the less weird it's going to be. If I go, oh, this is too weird, I need to run away from it. That's not healthy. Just because something's weird one time, just because you pray for your spouse one time and it's weird and it feels weird, and maybe you didn't even have the right words, you're like, God bless them, amen. Oh, that was weird, I'm not doing that again. If the enemy can make you feel weird about it, he can stop you from doing it if you don't press through awkward you got to press through the weirdness. you got to press through the awkwardness. And if you're going to see things restored and you're going to see reconciliation happen in your marriage and your best days be ahead of you, then you've got to embrace some awkward stuff. And you got to stop making excuses. you got to repent to one another. you got to recognize that your heart is supposed to be towards and for one another. This is the love and mercy of God at work in our lives. And this brings restoration in our lives. And this is what God wants for you. This is God's best for you. Not that your best days were behind you. Not that, oh, I made a mistake. Not that, oh, I blew it because I should have known better than to marry this person. No. Not I don't have those feelings anymore. No. 
Your best days can be ahead of you, but you've got to start doing something different. And watch what God does as he begins to restore and make things new. So our global partner that we have at Word of Grace is uh, Great Marriages here in Sheboygan County. And, and some of you are familiar with Great Marriages, some of you are not. They're over on Center Street in Sheboygan, and they're a great organization that does a lot of awesome things here. And I want to connect you. If you just need a jump start in your marriage, they have their first quarter of their events released, and I want to show you those. We'll leave those up on the screen for you uh, throughout the end of service. They're going to have a few things happen in the beginning of this year. They're going to talk about money, because that's a big thing that people fight over in their marriages. It's one of the uh, top things that people fight and get divorced over, so they want to teach you about money and how it works in the context of marriage and how to communicate those things. And then Secret of a Happy Marriage, uh, Pastor Andy Shanholtz is going to be teaching that. We love Pastor Andy here at Word of Grace, and I know that that's going to be a wonderful teaching that he's going to do there. Then there's how to have a successful remarriage or a blended family. Perhaps maybe you're getting remarried or you're marrying into uh, someone that already has uh, children, things like that. They're going to talk about all that over a four-week period there at Great Marriages, and they're going to have some really great stuff to help you. And there's the registration information. If you need just a little jump start in your marriage, I wanted to promote one of our global partners that we support here at church. So when you give at Word of Grace, a portion of that money actually goes to support this organization. And we partner with them, we pray for them, and we're proud to do that. And so we want to make sure that you utilize those resources from Great Marriages and that you do something Maybe it's great marriages, maybe it's something else, but you need to do something to jumpstart your marriage. You need to do something to start getting on the path of reconnection. You need to do something to do something different than what you've been doing so you can see what God can truly do in your marriage. And I believe He wants to do great things in you and through you, and it's going to be for His glory because He doesn't want you disconnected. He wants us to be connected. He wants things to be restored. He doesn't want us walking around bitter and hurt and wounded. He wants to see us healed, restored, and he wants to see us forgiven and free. Amen, people? All right, that's good stuff, so let's take it and do something with it, right? All right, well, let's stand this morning together. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.